Hello and welcome to a new episode of Straight Talk. We promised you chats with personalities and that's exactly what we're bringing you in this episode. First up, we have Pascal Verlein sitting down with Mahindra's technical director, Lewis Butler, to talk about that stunning, ridiculously stunning podium in Santiago. They went wild in the Mahindra garage and let's find out why. First up, we have Pascal Verlein. Now he's sitting down with Mahindra's technical director, Lewis Butler, to talk about that ridiculously stunning podium in Santiago. That is a moment that won't be forgotten for a while, particularly after seeing all the excitement in the Mahindra garage, especially from his team principal, Dilbag Gill. Um, and actually, speaking of Dilbag Gill, we do have the boss himself in town. We're going to have a chat with him in conversation with another boss, Formula E's co-founder, Alberto Longo. We'll be talking about the sport, its beginnings, right up to what they have created today and also looking into the future and what it holds. But for now, let's hand it over to Pascal and Lewis. So I guess Santiago being your first race with the team properly, uh, looks like you had a great time. <laughs> How did you get along and what, did, what was your feeling after the day and during the day, I guess, too? Yeah, no, it was it was great. Like you say, it was my first race. The other one I don't really count, so I only did the start. <laughs> So yeah, everything went went really well already in Marrakesh. You know, I felt confident in the car and had a good speed. Um, sure. Seventh in qualifying, so already there I was expecting a good result in the race. But then, uh, you know, in in Santiago, there was it was like another step. You know, in FP1 yeah. I was second, then I was fifth, then I, I took the provisional pole position in, yeah. in no, qualifying, sure. and then third in, from here. in in super pole. So. Yeah, no, it was was great, and I think we could have challenged for the win. You know, I always have high expectations, but still, it's a bit unexpected yeah, when sure. when you are there in that position. But yeah. Um, no, so yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed it really. So is that where the frustration came in a little bit when it was uh, clear that we thought we probably weren't able to do that for you that day? Was that hard for you to take? I guess in the cockpit, presumably, yes, from some of the radio comments. I think we've got some playback here actually, which I haven't really heard either, to be honest. So let's see. <laughs> oh no. Seven Peter, one one, leave me alone. Okay, Dilbach says he's happy with his position, so just, it's up to you. Yeah, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted to win that race, and even after the race, I was not so happy, because sure. yeah. I've, you know, I was saving a lot of energy in the beginning, so I thought, okay, at the end I will attack, and if it works for P1, it's fine, if not, uh, you know, I, I don't have the experience with the energy management, so... Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I was expecting to challenge for the win at the end, but unfortunately we had an issue with the temperature on the battery, yeah. so I had to slow down. And in that moment, I was a bit upset. Like no, you, of course. I like you yeah, could... Yeah. Uh, well, I think we all were yeah. as well, actually. <laughs> so, yeah. But no, you know, now after a bit of time, I'm I'm very happy about Santiago, so... Yeah. Um, I couldn't have asked for more, to and, be honest. Yeah, it was nice to see the pace of the car that event for you, I'm sure. So it was yeah. good for us too. It was just a bit frustrating at the end, like you say, the last few laps. And uh, yeah. it looked like quite a lot of other people had similar struggles, though, I think. You know, from what yeah, because it was so hot. Timing data right. and other things. It looked yeah. quite, quite the like case for everybody. 40 degrees nearly and sweating <laughs> a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and the track was falling apart as well, I understand. Obviously not yeah, being there, yeah. I wasn't sure. But. Tarmac uh, felt off. I heard they resurfaced the track just one or two weeks before the race. I think it was less than a month. Yeah, exactly how long. Yeah. I can't remember now, but yeah, it wasn't. So uh, it was melting the track. 
and uh, you know you could see first i thought it's marbles from from the tires but uh, actually no it was it yeah, was the yeah, track yeah. pieces so, of the track yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it was really slippery once you were, were off the line it's you lost like two or three seconds or yeah. like some other drivers you crash into the wall because ah, yeah yeah sure saw a bit of that to me yeah. Yeah, it was very strange <laughs> yeah, I think that's happened only once before in season two in, uh, where was it? Malaysia, I think. So mm. a similarly hot event where it had been resurfaced recently and I think the same thing happened. Pieces of the track yeah. started falling apart. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing on here was when your, your race was only, what, a handful of seconds in Marrakesh. And obviously that was massively frustrating because I was actually there to see that as well. It was crazy. But uh, watching the replay was funny for me just to see how little the other guy used his brakes. Obviously used you instead. <laughs> so... I can see why that was frustrating because yeah. <laughs> competitive is there again the competitiveness of the car we thought was reasonable there too like you say yeah. not the same level as santiago but still quite good so yeah and i mean if you watch at the replay he was so far behind <laughs> I know. it's 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 quite an effort to still hit somebody when you are three cars behind and still manage to crash into him so it was impressive yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, so I guess we're all hoping that in the next few races you do more of the same and a bit better. We'll see more of you on the podium from back here, hopefully, too. Yeah, I hope so. We'll try. Thank you. Oh, thanks, guys. Wow, just listening to Pascal there. He is a guy determined to hit that top spot. Nothing else is going to be enough for him. And I'm sure you're just as excited as me to watch his season progress this year. Good luck to him. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I recently sat down with the boss of Mahindra, Dilbag Gill, and also Formula E's co-founder, Alberto Longo, to have a good old chinwag about all things Formula E. We did promise you great chats with paddock personalities from Formula E, and that's exactly what we will deliver to you in this episode. I'm very pleased to say that I'm here with Dilbert Gill, team boss of Mahindra Racing, and Alberto Longo. Now, his title is the co-founder and chief championship officer of Formula E, but most people, I think, know Alberto as Alejandro Agag's right-hand man. He's been here since the very beginning and really got this championship off the ground. And uh, we're going to be having a good chat to both of you. Alberto, let's kick it off with you because we haven't really got to chat to you yet this season. Formulary started, well, actually, when did it start for you? It started officially in the public eye in Beijing back in 2014. Uh, but when did your journey begin with Formulary? Well, uh, for me, I was at the very, very, very early start. I mean, I am talking about um, minute zero of Formula E. So uh, when Alejandro came back for that famous dinner in uh, in Paris that uh, everybody knows about, I um, he called me and said, "Listen, there has been a strange dinner, and uh, and uh, this is the kind of the next big big idea that I have." So we were by the time managing the GP2 team and GP3 team. And uh, you know how crazy is Alejandro. So, so at that time, I thought, I don't know if we're ready to do this, but uh, listen, let me look at it. Obviously, I'm kind of the more serious guy out of the two. And I start looking into the feasibility of it and then uh, start building a small team uh, just to, uh, to basically do the tender that the FIA was going was gonna to do to decide the promoter. Wow. When, now, now you talk about that famous dinner in Paris, you know, to those of you who maybe don't know it and, are, you know, just joining the championship now, there was this dinner that took place with the president of the FIA, Jean Todd and Alejandro Gag. And I understand that a sort of 
a sketch of a single-seater race car was drawn on a napkin and it was discussed that this car was the future and this car was electric and that's where it all began. When was that? Well, that was in 2012. Wow. So it wasn't that far ago. <clears throat> the, um, there was another one on the dinner. There was the Commissioner of Energy uh, for the European Commission and uh, Jan Todd and the Commissioner were discussing about... Uh, building or doing this uh, championship with this fully electric uh, championship and uh, Alejandro said listen if this ever happened I would love to become the promoter but more as a joke a little bit uh, well he did it kind of seriously the other two t- took it as a, as a joke a little bit so uh, uh, but they both said kind of yes so Alejandro stepped up went to, uh, to find a napkin and a pen wrote it down if there is ever a Formula E championship, then I will become the promoter. And the three of them signed that, uh, that napkin, which is today uh, in the frame on that restaurant, in the same table that they did the, the promise. So who needs a hundred page long contracts? <laughs> All true. you really need is a napkin. These lawyers, you know, they're having a laugh, aren't they? <laughs> well, the truth is that after that, we did the process. <laughs> and then we did a tender and then we won the tender, obviously. But uh, it was quite a funny story. God, on how wow. it all began. And Dobak, how did you get involved in Formula E? What's the, the beginning story for you? Well, uh, my responsibility at Mahindra was I was looking after all the sports investments. So Mahindra is a very diverse group around many uh, parts of the world. So different countries are sponsoring different sports. Someone's doing basketball, someone's doing motorsports, stuff like that. So we got this proposal coming to us by Karun. Karun brought this uh, proposal into us with Ali Russell. Blame everything on Ali, okay? <laughs> like, uh, trust me, it's all blamed on Ali. We all do. Yes, right? so, it's great. <laughs> so they brought this proposal in. It looked really in, uh, interesting to us because at that point in time, Mahindra just declared that by 2021, 30% of our, all our production will be hybrid. And said, so, okay, this is sort of going to use the Indian expression, marriages are made in heaven. Okay, so this is a marriage made in heaven. And I think we were the first OEM to sort of step in as an OEM Absolutely. in the championship. And just going at I think we've been the only consistent sort of shareholding also over this uh, for odd periods. So that's the commitment we made to it. So one end, I recommended this investment to the group. And then when he said, okay, fine, let's go do it now. How are we going to do it? I raised my hand and said, can I take it? So Mr. Mahindra, who's, I think, one of the most visionary people I've seen, sort of said, it, yeah, go do it. At the maximum, what will do? You'll fall flat on your face. We'll pick you up. And he's been bringing me back. He's never let me fall down. And he's, and thing, and he's been one of our biggest supporters of this championship. That's what it all really comes down to with Formula E, doesn't it? It's about the early believers. It's about the guys that really supported the championship from the beginning when it was absolutely nothing, where so much could have gone wrong, but it really didn't. And it's thanks to those guys and the sponsors and the partners and the cities, you know, the people that supported it, the guys that got the the car up and running that have made this championship what it is today. There are lots of sound checks going on ahead of the race, so um, you might be able to hear some music in the background. Anyhow, now fast forward to Beijing, 2014, the race was spectacular. Goes right down to the wire. We've got Nico Prost and Nick Heidfeld battling it out into the last turn of that last lap. Who was going to win? And then, of course, they make contact. Nick Heidfeld pirouette spins across the track, upside down, uh, hits the barriers. And, well, Dilbag, from a team principal's perspective, what was going through your mind when obviously Nick was virtually hanging upside down in a car that had just been in a huge accident? Well, at that point in time, as you know, Nick wasn't driving for us. 
So we were spectators here. So <laughs> Nick was with the competitor. Uh, we were looking at Karun, who was sort of like running fifth, sixth. So we said, okay, first reaction. I was new to motorsport. I said, okay, we made two places. Okay, in that in that corner. So that was, uh, I think, the first thing. And that was Karun finished in fifth. So that was. And I think more then, points for the team. Then. Yeah, I think for me it was the first reaction was when Nick walked out. I said, okay, this car is safe because no one knew. What's the impact of this high voltage battery? What's going to happen, etc.? Because it was never tested to that sort of a crash. It, it survived, and I think that gave a lot of people belief, saying that okay, these cars, people know what they're doing with these cars. And I think from that moment onwards, yeah, let's go build, rebuild these cars. Let's go racing. And I think now people also got the drivers also got a lot more confident in touching each other, rubbing against each other. I felt yeah, these cars can take a little bit of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. We'll, hopefully, we'll bleep that out. <laughs> and Alberto, probably yeah. I have to say that um, it was probably one of the worst moments in my life because it, it was after all the hard work that we uh, did in order to get to that moment. Um, seeing the driver, watching that driver on TV, that uh, the, he wasn't coming out, and, uh, and I was really thinking, this is it. Because uh, the first ever race of Formula E. A driver, I mean, something serious happened to a driver, obviously, uh, that we wouldn't be in a very good position. But when I saw him coming out of the car, then it was a big relief. And um, and I think it was uh, one of the biggest moments of Formula E and uh, one of the main reasons why we are becoming such a big uh, sport uh, property. Well, it was definitely one way to get it in the news, that's for sure. I mean, it certainly went viral. Didn't do it on purpose, I have to say. Anna. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure about it? Because, <laughs> you know, you're good at making this go viral. You're, you're a good media man. Um, I, so should, I should check Nick's bank account. Because <laughs> 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 if this was like uh, done together with Alberto. Check Nick as well. Uh. Nico might have a bigger bank account, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then I suppose looking at how the championship has developed since then, since the beginning, I think, you know, when it all first started, we're now really into season five, what's what's going to be a cracking season, so many manufacturers here. But um, looking at that journey, I mean, for you, I know it's a difficult one, but are, are there any sort of pivotal moments or highlights that you can pick out from the time that you've been with Formula E? Well, I think, see, from my side, like before I got into Formula E, I've done a few startups of my own. And we do business plans and we do very positive business plans when you do a startup. And I think this is my only time I've seen, and I'm going to say on record, is that this one startup which has not achieved every line, but has actually exceeded every milestone. If you look at Formula E, in terms of manufacturers coming in, the teams coming in, the quality of racing, the drivers, the cities we're going to, we always set a benchmark. And I think if we go back today, like I think we're all happy and talking, but if you go back five years ago when we started this championship, could we have imagined we are here where we are today? So I think that's the biggest learning for me is that, yes, there are startups which can actually exceed milestones. And I think, I think that's for me the biggest takeaway from here. Yeah. And budgets have gone up also. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Sounds expensive. <laughs> and Alberto, what about you? Yeah, for me, uh, well, there are thousands of them, obviously. But um, that first race in Beijing was, um, was uh, amazing. Um, when we start getting the first seat design, you know, because... Uh, we cannot forget that we we got the license of uh, from the FIA the 27th of August on 2013. That was literally 13 months before we launched the first race in Beijing in, in 2014. And by then, uh, as Alejandro say, we had nothing. No, no cities, no drivers, no teams, no sponsors, absolutely nothing. So that journey of uh, 13 months, there, there were a lot of highlights, you know, and every single one of them was a yes or a no. So it was a Either if we sign it good, if not, we have no championship. 
So any single one of these signature with the teams, with the cities, with the uh, with the in technology wise with the car. I mean, we didn't even have the technology going on. So so we we had to create everything from scratch. So um, yeah, there is thousands of moments. <laughs> thousands but, of good ones. <laughs> but, but but all of them probably not all of them, but most of them during that period from the 27th of August, which was the first one. Uh, to the to the 9th of September, that was 13th of September, which was uh, Beijing, yeah. And, um, I mean, when you look at, obviously, we get to, we are very, very lucky, you know, despite maybe the unglamorous surroundings right now, we are very lucky because we do travel to some of the world's greatest cities and then we, you know, we arrive, we build a track, we get to race on it, we hopefully provide a really entertaining performance for, for all the spectators and the fans. If you were to pick sort of favourite tracks or places that you've been to over the last four years, could you, what would they be? Well, that's like asking me to pick my favorite child. <laughs> it's a tough one to say, yeah? Oh, come on. Everyone knows you have a favorite child. Thankfully, <laughs> uh, I have one, okay? Yeah? Yeah. Then you have an easy one. I have five. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to respond to that. Your favorite um, and your least favorite child. They're all wrapped up in one. For me, I think just personally, it might be Marrakesh because that's been really good to us. We've done really well there. So I really like it. But I think overall, this we've really enjoyed going everywhere because I think we've taken the show, the people have embraced us wherever we have gone, the cities have got behind us, people have got behind us. So for us, I think I just look forward to the next event, go there, do well, get out of home for a few days. That's nice fun. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what about and for you? For me, I'm missing a little bit Moscow, for example, in season one. I think yeah, that was a, an impressive totally location with, um, uh, with that, uh, I mean, in that place that uh, almost nobody have been there, you know, do, doing almost anything. And we did a, a race in the heart of the city. Uh, in Red Square, um, Miami was also an amazing, an amazing uh, event. I think I'm just remembering the one that we're not in now. <laughs> yes, exactly. But uh, but obviously uh, all the one that we're racing in today, like I mean, it's impressive New York, um, Paris. I mean, it's just stunning Rome, uh, here Santiago, Hong Kong. Uh, I mean, frankly, we I think we do race in the biggest cities in the world, the most cool cities in the world, and uh, and the venues are quite amazing, all of them. So. Really I cannot do. choose one. Make sure it continues that way, Alberto, won't I'll you? Make yeah. sure. <laughs> okay. I'll make sure. What's next for next year? Any new ones? How public is this? Uh, <laughs> it's pretty public to our listeners, but we could, you know, we won't. We'll make sure they don't tell anyone, we, right, guys? We will go to new races next year. That's for sure. That's for sure. How, how many? In, in which region out of interest? Uh, we are going to go, hopefully, to three new cities next season. Three new cities. Would they be um, in South would, America? Would they be three new cities next season? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Middle East? No Middle East. Um, and that's all I can say. Uh, Asia? That's all I can say. I'm trying, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was worth asking. Um, um, I'll, I'll, I'll share that later in the podcast. Brilliant. <laughs> nice one, Tilbag. <laughs> and how do you guys work together, actually? What's your sort of involvement? How do you two work together? Well, I receive a lot of invoices from Alberto, so that's amazing. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Yeah, for, the, for the finance team, not from me. I think from uh, from Alberto's perspective, it's essentially our work is like, how can you grow the championship together? I, I still believe we are collectively in a championship which is still a toddler. We are a company which is in the fifth year of its life. So we have to work collectively uh, to make this uh, show go better. And I think that's been really good. What we have been able to do in the last couple of years is that it's not us versus them. It's like uh, work together. And I think Alberto has been one of the most supportive people of this championship and I think because uh, I remember when we started working with him and I'm going 
he was one of the tough guys to work with man this guy is never smiling cuz alejandro says yes to everything and alberto said no to everything so it was like between the yes and the no and i think now working with alberto that knows i've sort of uh, become i think his his thank you for the way that. he's uh, he executes the team is put together and then to the day i think with alberto is uh, if he gives his word you know it's going to be done Uh, also oh, nice. i think the um, the fact that he used to be the president of the of, of, of the feta the formula e teams association um i think we got a very good um, very good relationship there and uh, he did an amazing job and we were again working together in order to try to improve the championship and uh, he is a great uh, lover of formula e and uh, and a great worker as well Mahindra have a very loyal fan base as well. They have a great following of fans. Why do you think that is? Why do you think everyone loves Mahindra? And they're a good, friendly uh, face, a friendly team in the pit lane as well. I just come from dancing in the pit lane, so so <laughs> I, I can tell you that definitely they are. They make things happen. I don't know how. I don't know why, but. Uh, But they are very friendly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's very true. I should just explain. So, if you haven't seen it yet, then I would highly recommend it. But um, there have been uh, a number of videos that are going around. Well, there's been one so far. One, one big one, yeah. Bollywood video starring Dilbag Gill and the drivers. It's called um, Jerome Goes to Bollywood. It's called Jerome Goes, Goes to, to Bollywood. Bollywood yeah. Okay, so just imagine. There we are. We have a racing driver attempting a bit of Bollywood dancing, plus a few others, uh, with, uh, with starring roles. And uh, Mahindra have decided to do another one, and somehow managed to get Alberto involved. I'm involved, and quite a number of um, prominent figures from the pit lane involved. We haven't seen it yet. Um, but i feel like it's going to be quite funny to watch it's definitely not going to make us look good up there so that's no, for sure that, that i fully agree i don't look good dancing so <laughs> And uh, just to let you know, Alberto did show me his dance move earlier, no, really and um, cool I can concur he is correct. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Although you did say that my dance move looked Hawaiian, which I would also agree it was not, quite uh, Hawaiian. I'm sorry, but your dance is not Indian at all. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, you you oh, look dear. more like a Hawaiian type of uh, lady. Huh? No, but from India, we're broad-minded. We'll take in every culture. No problem. Okay, we're, we're the, the Hawaiian. Uh, See, Nikki is, that's is why we love them. <laughs> the Hawaiian Nikki. Well, guys, thank you so much for talking to us. It's been great to actually get a bit of insight. What does the future hold? Just to wrap this up, what does the next four and a bit years look like? Nikki, I think whatever we say, we're going to exceed it. Yeah. Because I think that's what's happened, and I think technology is changing so fast. Because I'm really excited. I think even in this generation of what we call the G2 cars, we're going to see a much uh, better racing as it goes forward. And I think G3 is going to be phenomenal. I think we're going to be taking such a big step forward or there it's going to be so exciting. So from my perspective I think we just need to keep pushing and the championship is very relevant to the road technology and I think that's the biggest change from 2020 to 2025 I think what we're doing out here the relevance of road is going to be so much more you're going to see so many more uh, electric cars out there on the roads etc so I think yeah the relevance is I think the most important thing for me. And Alberto, I know we've got a couple new cities for next season. What else? I think the relevance as well of the of the um, technology that we should uh, basically put into the the electric cars on the market. You know, I, I think Formula E was created with with a goal to have all the all the cars one day all the cars will be electric. And frankly, that's uh, we need to still working towards uh, that goal. So hopefully we will get it done 
in five to ten years. Excellent. Well, by that stage, I mean, you can see it already. Electric cars are going mainstream. I mean, it was the What Car Awards quite recently. And the winner, the winner of the What Car Car of the Year was an electric car, the Kia e-Nero, which I think just is an amazing demonstration of how things are changing. Uh, guys, thank you both so much for joining us on Straight Talk. Thanks, thank uh, you. hopefully we'll get you back sometime soon. Thanks, thank Alberto. you. Thank 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 you. Well, there we go. That is a wrap on another episode of Straight Talk. Thank you very much for joining. Uh, do remember to subscribe and comment. Tell us what you want to hear, who do you want to hear from, what do you want more of, and uh, we will catch up with you soon. Bye.